Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal Handsome Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which was recorded during the evening of June 7th, 2022, we put Tim Horton's new Beebs Brew on trial. We discuss three new Canadian laws, and we shake our fists at Randy Vogel, the not-at-all-empathetic realtor. So let's get into it. Handsome Aaron Airport, how are you doing? Oh, good, my friend. How are you? Do you want to know the truth? Should I be honest? I I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't think you weren't being honest 100% of the time. Well, I'm doing good now, but I'm actually just coming out of the woods. If you follow my podcast closely, you'll notice that I've been quiet for about a week. And it all stems to a nasty head cold that one of my children brought into the home. Uh, Last week was kind of crazy. One of my kids was boogery and sneezy and up all night sneezing and boogering. Um, to help him sleep, I slept in bed with him and uh, comforted him. Uh, mm-hmm. Turned out that that was probably not a great idea because I've spent the last like five days with like the man cold to kill a man, and I'm um, now like I, I think in in terms of like recuperating from a head cold and stuff, I think uh, in terms of percentage, and I would say I'm now at about like ninety percent my normal me. Um, so if you ask how I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling pretty lucky that I'm here tonight. I've canceled streams days and recording sessions days before this, but I'm back on my sea legs and happy to be back with you. Cause this is a big night. Oh, this is a big night. Yeah, I know. We, we've got big, big things for this big, big night. Yeah. This, uh, I think we decided last week, this is the mid season premiere. Finale? No m- mid season finale. Every yeah. episode is the mid-season finale. Yeah, and this is certainly a mid-season finale. Uh, it is June 7th, um, which is, I guess a lot of people are going to look at Canadian history as before and after June 6th. So we're now living in a post-June 6th world. The big thing about June 6th was the launch of... Oh, you're waiting for me to say. <laughs> you, you, you thought it froze? No, no, I just thought you were like going to keep talking. You're like, June 6th is the launch of... The launch of? The Bieber Brew. Mm, Yeah, Mm. and I think that uh, we got to start with that because listeners from coast to coast of Canada are waiting to hear our review of the Bieber Brew. We said last week we were going to try it, um, and we both did. And I think the the way we're going to present this, we won't talk about it just yet. The way we're going to present this is a sort of like Keep Canada Weird Film Festival, I guess, is what's about to happen here. Because I recorded my experiences on video. Mm -hmm. You recorded yours on video. I haven't seen yours. You haven't seen mine. 
the listeners and viewers haven't seen either. So I think the best way to explore this is just go film by film and then talk it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I consider mine to be more of an indie film mm. versus where I assume that yours has more production value. Um, maybe some editing, maybe uh, a little sprinkle here and there, some bedazzling. There is. I, um, I captured a scene where like, as I'm talking, my hand reaches and opens the door mm -hmm. of the Tim Hortons as I enter it. And I find that's a really cool little shot to have in, in a film. Yeah. Mine is still indie though. There's no one, no one's involved. Well, listen, in I mean, we're just in, in comparison of the two films, I would say yours is more of a like Hollywood blockbuster. Whereas mine is more of a raw, gritty, independent, like an art house. Um, an art house film yeah yeah mine is that's indie. how i would no Mine's... no no we're only comparing the two you can't say yours is of the indie style when yours has editing and has production value to it whereas mine doesn't so okay mine is the independent film um uh, yours is the slick hollywood blockbuster well let's see if both that's are true. fine you know both are fine you know uh presentations it's it's not which one's better or worse it's just that's what we're dealing with here is two different styles so Who, um to go first why don't we do rock paper scissors yeah sure okay so we'll, we'll do one let's decide rock paper scissors and then on match you know well uh, the, i would say shoot rock paper scissors shoot and then you display your pick and it's just like the best one out of one no two out of three or anything sure unless i lose then i'll debate myself into uh maybe and, a, and a, whoever a whoever wins the other person goes first right yeah like sure. loser goes first all right let's do this loser goes first okay yeah rock rock paper scissors, scissors shoot, shoot. Oh, I win. I got rock. Okay. All right. We're good. Yeah. So let me go first. Okay. Here we go. I call this film My Bieber Brew Review. Hey everybody. It's June 6th. You know what that means? Today's the day. Tim Hortons and Bieber are dropping the new, uh, the new Biebs Brew which I've learned today is a cold brew coffee. So not a hot coffee, it's something cold, but I'm on my way right now to a Tim Hortons that's in a gas station and I'm gonna order it. And if they don't have it, I am gonna freak out. Let's go get some. Hey, can I get one of the uh, Beats Brew, like the new coffee? So I got one of these things here. My camera kind of messed up as I was ordering, but that was, uh, quite the spectacle. Uh, so they made it for me. It's expensive. I think it was almost three bucks, I think for a small one, but I don't even know if I can drink it because I don't, uh, I, I did some Googling in a small one of these is I think just under 15 grams of sugar. Uh, I only eat 20 grams of sugar a day, so I'm not gonna drink all this. I'm just gonna have a sip to taste it. Here goes nothing. Meh, meh. So it tastes like cold coffee with a bunch of cream in it. <laughs> to me. I don't know if Justin Bieber drinks this. 
We'll see if we see him carrying one around. This, uh, I don't think Justin would keep his physique if he drank more than one of these every few days. Uh, this to me tastes like maybe like coffee flavored ice cream that melted and is unsweetened. That's how I would describe this. It's supposed to be a French vanilla. I don't taste a lot of vanilla in my Beeves brew. Anyway, would I recommend this? No, <laughs> definitely not. Do we get a standing ovation from you, Aaron, for that film? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we, w we won't get into your thoughts on it yet, but do you want to ask me any questions about my experience? What happens when the camera stopped filming? Oh, it was so stupid of me. So I was filming the cashier as she rang me through and I accidentally like pressed one of the buttons on the phone that like stopped the recording. So I had like the first minute, like second of me be asking her for the Bieber brew. And then the whole exchange where she didn't know what I was talking about. And another employee explained that the French vanilla is the Bieber brew. Mm. Uh, as that was happening, I managed to turn on my recording again. So there's like that key moment was missing. And I'm so upset about Damn. that because Again, like it's such a big thing nationally and in the news and just among the public and Justin Bieber's fans, this new coffee, uh, that an employee with the beads <clears throat> brew shirt on had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I t all I could all I could stomach was one one sip of it. I pro took probably two sips yeah. of it and I could taste it in my mouth all day. Mm -hmm. It was um, I give it a very nasty review, but we'll talk about it more in a second. Let's get to your. All right, film. let's do it. Okay, everyone, I am just heading in to order my uh, Justin Bieber coffee drink. I don't can't even remember what the thing is called here. Bieber brew or whatever it is. So I should have a good time trying to order this. Hi, can I get, um, what is it called? The Bieber brew? What's the new? Yeah. Uh, medium. Thank you. Driving up to get it. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hello. Uh, Mastercard. Hey. Thank you. you. Uh, yes, please. Hey. Have you tried the new Bieber drink? Uh, I tried the shot that goes in, and it's very, very strong. It's strong, is I can't it? Really taste the French part. It's so it doesn't taste French at all to you? <laughs> well, I mean, like, the French part's supposed to kind of be like a toffee taste, but it's oh, not really. It's it not. just tastes like really strong vanilla. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks for the heads up. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, you heard it there from the employee at Tim Hortons, and I'm getting this through. Uh, just stated that it just tastes like really strong coffee, and it doesn't really taste like the flavor it's supposed to. So that's interesting. So I'm putting my straw in right now. Um, so here's my drink. Uh, so I'm driving, so I'm gonna kind of get on the road first before I have a sip. Make sure I'm safe while I do this, because if the taste completely blows my mind, I might run off the road. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to sample the Bieber drink for the very first time. Yeah. 
It just tastes like coffee. I don't know. It's just whatever, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't taste like how I think Justin Bieber would taste, that's for sure. So for that reason, I give it a thumbs down. And uh, that is my review of Justin Bieber's stupid drink from Stupid Tim Hortons. That was an amazing production for that video. I uh, I especially I think the big moment there was like yeah it was a, a cool like kind of indie art house film but there was some good journalism going on there because you got the employee of Tim Hortons to basically crap on the product before he passed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of was like, wondering how it was going to play out because I I didn't want to ask the person taking my order because it would have been inaudible through the, you know, it's hard to hard communicate, to communicate through, that, through that. So I'm like, I'll ask the person at the window what they think of the new drink. So, yeah, he gave me his honest opinion on it. He said it doesn't taste French at all. I don't like I don't I can't imagine Justin Bieber drinks many of those things. The guy's in amazing shape. That thing was like the creamiest. Like, oh, it's awful for you. Whatever it is, you know, like it's. Yeah, so like you might as well get a Big Mac or something. It's like I, yeah. I would, if you could compare the calories, I don't know how many calories are in it, but I'm sure it's uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't get that. And then as you're walking out of the gym. Or yeah, something. I'm sure he sampled it as part of his contract and then threw it in the garbage and moved on with his life and cashed his check. I couldn't finish mine. How much of it? How far? I had two sips. I literally, the two sips that you saw are, is all I Okay, had. <laughs> same. Yeah, I ended up, I dumped it and went home and made like yeah. an actual coffee. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's still sitting in my car in the cup holder. Okay. <laughs> Completely full. Disgusting. Um, so mm-hmm. Tim. So it'll be there tomorrow. My car is going to reek like Justin Bieber when I get in the car tomorrow morning. So Tim's did good with their first, uh, dance with Justin Bieber generally the second time is not a charm when it comes to like marketing I think this is gonna flop mm-hmm. or just be a nothing I'm sure it'll do okay and people will order it and you know yeah if they keep plastering it on on the screens at the order screen you know <laughs> like people will get it like the sheep who who roll in there yeah the Justin yeah. Bieber order this sheep. you sheep <laughs> Bieber drink <laughs> Um, well, that's behind us now. Hopefully we never have to talk about Tim Hortons or Justin Bieber or the two of them combined again, and we can focus. But we will. Probably. But now we can focus specifically on keeping Canada weird. And we got a a full card Mm. here. We have three stories that all relate to our legal system. I think I titled it the long reach of the the long arm of Canadian law. There's it's three new laws or changes to existing laws that are in the process of being passed that we're going to talk about. And they're all a little weird and unique. We are going to talk about the least empathetic real estate agent I've ever heard of. Yes. And we are going to talk, actually, I have a, uh, crimes actually i may yeah and then i have a crime story that we may fit in at the end but Mm. i think we should start with the legal the canadian legal system changes that are a little weird do you want to get into this empathetic arsehole let's get right into the arsehole okay Uh, this is a rough one uh canadians are known to be (laughs) you know nice and apologetic and thoughtful um 
Well, not all Canadians, as you will, uh, as, as you're about to hear. The person in this story is a real estate agent named Randy Vogel. He is not. Uh, he does not embody the Canadian kindness. So this is kind of a two-part story that I'm, I'm going to tell you. It it begins in the Vancouver area. There was a uh, a missing woman named Chelsea Porman, a missing Indigenous woman, a 24-year-old Indigenous woman. Uh, she was found dead outside a vacant home in the. Sh I'm going to get this the the name wrong of this neighborhood. It's Shaughnessy neighborhood. I believe is how it's oh, couldn't tell how it's, I believe how it's pronounced. It's a it's a mm -hmm. area uh, in in the area of Vancouver. So anyway, this is a um, Chelsea's disappearance and her being found dead. A lot of people believe it foul play may be suspected, although police have said they are not and they're not suspecting foul play. Um, but that's kind of beside the point because what has happened is there is posters all over Vancouver with Chelsea's face and her story and a plea for information on, you know, what may have happened to her. So we've all seen situations where these posters are all over the place in a city. Um, and we understand the need for those. Well, not everybody understands the need for them because in Vancouver, these posters, specifically posters about Chelsea's disappearance and the plea for information, were being torn off of poles around the city. I say this is a two-part story because the first article I'm going to skim from is just simply covering the situation with these posters being torn down, and then I'm going to give give the update. We're only asking for help, right? So why should it really bother people for us to put up a poster? Like, there's no harm in it. Signs pleading for information about Chelsea Poorman pulled down during a rally and march in Shaughnessy, the neighborhood where her body was found. The event was held Saturday as Mother Sheila Poorman and others continue to push for answers about what happened to Chelsea. Saz Lambert says her friends who took this video confronted a couple who were tearing away posters. I felt so angry and disgusted hearing that. She cares more about a pole than an actual human, an actual life. And we're looking for justice for Chelsea. It's not vandalism. In a separate incident, Battered Women Support Services says a staff member recorded this man also tearing down posters. And we saw a kind of very aggressive behavior that was directed at making Chelsea's experience invisible. Even though we glued them really well, somebody went out of the way to tear her face and the information off. And I actually called the police and I said, hey, you need to check these cameras. Somebody is going out of their way to do this. City News searched through Shaughnessy Monday and could not find one poster. The sign lists contact information for anyone who might have tips. And while Sheila waits for answers, she's also focusing on how to live without Chelsea. We did find her, but not the way that we wanted. Well, one of the people who appeared in these videos, tearing down posters, uh, was not long after identified, shamed, called out, and fired from his job. So here's where I'm going to get into it. The headline of the article that I'll read is called, Vancouver Realtor Fired After Ripping Down Chelsea Poorman Posters. And an update tonight to a story we brought you on Monday. 
one of the people caught on video appearing to tear down posters asking for help in the Chelsea poor man investigation has been fired. In a statement, McDonald Realty says, as an organization, we are in full support of Chelsea Poorman's family and friends as they search for answers and justice. We do not condone any inappropriate actions taken by any member of our community. And in this instance, we took immediate action and they are no longer with our organization. Multiple videos have surfaced on social media of people tearing down the posters in Shaughnessy, where Poorman's body was found behind a vacant home in April. Well, I'll kind of end it there, but we get the point. Is this guy gets shamed? Somebody goes to his employer, rightfully so. Very swiftly, he loses his job. And I'll, I'll give you some updates in making the art for this episode. I was trying to find a photo of this guy. His uh, any mention of him on the internet has been scrubbed. So his ex-employer, like the pages that are about him, are gone. His Twitter account. I know it existed. It is now gone. And he had a website where he was advertising his services and giving, you know, advice on home ownership. Even the website is down. And I and if I wanted to take my website down, I wouldn't even know where to start to make that happen. This guy got it done yeah. in a couple of days. I managed to find yeah. a, a couple photos of him and he doesn't look like as much of a prick as he is. But why would this guy do this? What do you think? Well, if he's, you know, my theory when I was reading the article was that as a realtor, he doesn't want potential clients seeing those posters because he doesn't want them to think it's a rough neighborhood that, yeah, that, it, that, that, you know, that there are issues like that going on in the neighborhood. He wants the neighborhood to look pristine and, and not have any of the scars that a neighborhood could have, you know, and, and these types of stories. So mm. That that's how that's how I thought it. Maybe, maybe it's just down to the he hates posters on polls, uh, any kind of poster. Well, yeah. Well, I, I can. What you said was my exact theory as well. Is that maybe he had he wanted to just get them off of the street where you know a, someone was coming to view a house that he was listing. I couldn't figure out if yeah. he had any if he was representing any listings on that street or in that immediate area. Uh, it would be really interesting to know if that was what it was. I can't imagine any other motivation, but if that was his motivation, um, for one, it's just it's awful and selfish and self-centered. But it also yeah. it also shows that like this person shouldn't be dealing with real estate. Uh, or <laughs> no, as a real estate agent, you're a public figure. You know, your face is on billboards and you know benches and 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 all that type and 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 you're involved in the community mm -hmm. you're you're you know selling homes in that community yeah. so you're you're a public fixture of of the neighborhood yeah. and if you're ripping down posters like this where a family is trying to figure out what happened to a loved one it's awful yeah and, and then i also think like what else are you going to hide you know if you're selling if this guy's selling houses and he's willing to hide the fact that there's a family fighting for answers for a missing person or a, a, yeah. a suspicious death in the area you know you think this guy's going to tell you the truth about like you know the problem the furnace has or something in the basement i'm yeah i'm just like all like a hundred percent screw this guy the the idea of oh a hundred percent yeah yeah drown in a in a bieber brew yeah oh good callback that's what he deserves a nice he should sit with some bieber brew and just think about this um yeah and it's oh it's it's heartbreaking for 
her family um mm-hmm. like imagine just like you, you spend the time printing off these posters having them put out you have advocates who found you online that are fighting to you know support you and help you get answers and then you got this prick of a real estate agent who's just mm-hmm. walking down the street while someone's walking behind him filming him questioning him and he's really kind of aggressive about it. he's just uh, they're walking behind it being like why are you tearing them down what are you doing he's not saying anything he's just uh, pulling them off the pole it's just like buddy you mm-hmm. suck like i wonder if this guy if it was a missing cat instead of uh, a 24 year old indigenous woman i wonder if he'd tear the cat posters down no i don't think he would because uh, a missing cat poster is you know it's probably, you know, hey, look at all the nice families that live in this neighborhood that you could buy a house in and, you know, they're missing their cat. And, look, you know, it's 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 with someone like this that who's who's a giant sack of human garbage um, is probably, you know, thinking that a, that a missing cat poster is is going to signify that there are, are families. Mm. You know, this is a family neighborhood, you know. Yeah. Um, but this guy, what's the, the irony is that what he's doing is he's he's making the neighborhood look worse because now he's drawn all this attention to this neighborhood that there are, you know, brutal, you know, jerks that live here that, that are insensitive and, and and maybe I don't want to buy a house in, in a neighborhood where this guy lives. Yeah, good point. Um yeah, well, we'll follow that for updates. I have a feeling this guy has crawled back into his hole and Chelsea Poorman's family will continue to uh, search for answers and their supporters and advocates will continue to fight for them despite a few mm-hmm. uh, moron, self-centered um, losers uh, trying to get in the way of that. I don't like stories that make me mad and that one does. Um, yeah. Well, let's move on. Yeah. Now we got something interesting. And certainly weird is so, so much of what makes Canada, Canada is our government and our laws that, you know, define how we live and play and everything else. Uh, and play. Yeah. When it, well, it, it does define that. Um, it does define, yeah, how you play. I want, don't play rough. There's laws against you know, that. Uh, cooperate. Don't play too drunk. Don't play too drunk. Yeah. Don't play around heavy machinery. Yeah. Um, well, laws are, are ever-changing. It's a very liquid, fluid situation. Uh, some recent changes in laws have become newsworthy moments. I actually have three of them here, which is strange. I'm not that into like the legal world and politics and all this stuff, but these three changes caught my eye. I thought we'll go through them one by one. The first one I want to tell you about, and I, had ne- I never would have thought of this, is Canada needs to change the laws well i not even change the laws add a law to criminal mm-hmm. uh, to extend the territory that the laws apply to to the moon and to space let me read you a little bit and explain this so the headline is canadian astronauts are no longer free to rob and kill with abandon in space or on the moon buried yeah. <laughs> Buried deep within the legislation implementing Canada's 2022 federal budget is a criminal code amendment that would explicitly extend Canadian criminal jurisdiction to the cosmos. Uh, 
A Canadian crew member who, during a, split, a space flight, commits an act or omission outside Canada that, if committed in Canada, would constitute an indictable defense, is deemed to have committed that act or omission in Canada, reads the measure included in Bill C-19. The 443-page document implementing the provisions of the 20, 2022 federal budget. Basically, the amendment means that if a Canadian commits a criminal offense while in space, they'll be met by handcuffs when they land. It also means, presumably, that Canadians can currently murder and rob all they want, provided they do it in orbit. The technical lawlessness of space is a problem that has been identified by legal scholars for some time. The issue came to the forefront in 2019 when a U.S. astronaut serving aboard the International Space Station was accused of committing the history's first ever space crime. Astronaut Anne McLaren was accused by her estranged spouse, Summer Warden, of unlawfully using an International Space Station computer to access Warden's online bank records, which Warden contended was a form of identity theft. The allegations were, some, were subsequently found to be false, and Warden, and Warden now stands accused of lying to U.S. investigators. So I'll end the article there. So that mm. the the story there's almost two stories there. The story that made this uh, notable seems like its own interesting thing. But I'll leave that to whoever hosts. Keep the United States weird. But um, mm. but I guess uh, there's this whole thing about like here on Earth, this idea of you know you go into international waters and it's just like the Wild West. Like if you travel you know a certain distance offshore, you can get to an area where you can just do whatever the hell you mm -hmm. want. Um, and I, I I guess I never thought that that would extend to space, but I guess usually like the person who gets in a position to be on a rocket flying into space usually has kind of proven themselves to be like a noble, respectable person. Yeah, but then you're going up into, like, if you're staying in the International Space Station or, you know, you're talking close quarters, uh, isolation, you know. And, I mean, astronauts go through rigorous testing to make sure that they can handle those extreme situations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it the the recipe is there for someone to snap, mm -hmm. I think. And, and at some point in time. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of sci-fi movies that someone snaps in space and kills a bunch of people. But also, um, I guess we, we've been talking about astronauts, but now uh, it's becoming more and more common for not common. It's now it's happening more frequently that just like civilians, like rich people with money yeah, well. can go on these kind of recreational cruises to space. And I can only assume in 15 years, that'll be even more common. And oftentimes like the, the laws are always playing catch up to new changes and new technology. So maybe this is right. Canada kind of just taking a big leap forward. We're getting ahead of it. Cause I know, you know, if I were a wealthy man and I wanted to murder you, I would invite you as my friend to join me on my my rocket uh, ride to the moon, right? As two civilians, you know, a wealthy friend bringing his other friends on a trip to the moon that we've purchased, uh, you know, from Elon Musk or whoever. And... You and I go up to the moon and I kill you. Mm -hmm. And then I come home a 
free man. Yeah, and she's like, there's no laws against that. And I even tell people I killed him up there. I filmed the and whole there's thing. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I filmed it and it's on the I guess I wouldn't put it on the internet. Maybe that would be something like a different law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless but you uploaded it. And I say, Where's Jordan? I killed him up there. And and you can't do anything about it. Well, I'm glad this law is passed then to prevent that from happening to me or someone like me by someone like you. But I don't think it's passed yet. Like, I still have some time. <laughs> you're going to offer me a ticket to space now. Uh, oh, you're going to get an email later tonight like, hey, guess what? Mm. Uh, let's move on to our next change in law. This one, I think, is a little surprising, but it's it's a bit deeper of an issue than crime in space. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't have known this unless I stumbled upon an article just the past few days that let me know that British Columbia is about to become the first province to remove criminal penalties for possession of some hard drugs. So it's not that they're legalizing hard drugs, but they're decriminalizing possession of small amounts. I'll tell you a bit about it. So British Columbia has become the first province to be granted an exception, an exemption under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act to remove criminal penalties for possession of some hard drugs. The three-year exemption is for people who possess a small amount of certain illicit substances for personal use. The exemption will be in effect from January 31st, 2023 until January 31st, 2026 and throughout all of BC. Substance use is a public health issue, not a criminal one. The BC Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, uh, Sheila Malscombe said, by decriminalizing people who use drugs, we will break down the stigma that stops people from accessing life-saving support and services. The BC government will now work with the federal government, health authorities, law enforcement, people with lived and living experience, indigenous partners, and community organizations to establish indicators and to establish outcomes. The exemption is not legalization. The substances will remain legal, but adults who have 2.5 grams or less of opioids, cocaine, methamphetamine, and MDMA for personal use will no longer be arrested, be charged, or have their drugs seized. Instead, police will offer information on available health and social supports and will help with referrals when requested. The shocking number of lives lost to the, to the overdose crisis requires bold action and significant policy change. I have thoroughly reviewed and carefully considered both the public health and public safety impacts of this request, the federal minister said. BC is the only province to have formally requested this exemption from the federal government, and the exemption only covers adults 18 years and older. So mm. it's on its surface, like the idea of like you can have cocaine and crystal meth and this stuff mm -hmm. on you and you know the cops don't even take it away on a, on the surface that's kind of shocking but i think that like that sounds like a really um forward thinking solutions kind of oriented approach to this issue and oh yeah uh, and mm -hmm. and people like I, I think a lot of people don't realize how bad the the drug and opioid and overdose crisis is in some parts of BC, specifically like yeah. Vancouver. I've, um, in covering a lot of missing persons cases on nighttime, so many of them involve, um, like street life in Vancouver and, and how it's just like a black hole that people can get sucked into there of drugs and crime and 
homelessness and just these huge, huge social issues. And if you add on top of that, the idea that the people who are living with that and dealing with that are arrested if they seek out help in some cases, you know, that definitely um, just puts a, a just a huge issue in it all that by decriminalizing it just for a period of time, for a couple of years to allow them to try to figure this stuff out. I think that makes sense. I support this. No, it makes, yeah, no, I support it too, because, you know, just uh, arresting people and throwing them in jail is just, it's just the cycle, you know, it just continues the cycle of, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't add any long-term benefits to, or solutions to this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, um, using drugs uh, is going to be around forever. You know, it's been around forever and it will be around forever. It will always be there. So just throwing people in jail for it hasn't done anything. And it's made it's made it more dangerous than it than it could be. Mm -hmm. You know, having safe spaces, you know, um, needle exchange situations, you know, um, being able to get these drugs from like a drugstore, you know, having, knowing that it's not going to be tainted with whatever kind of uh, dangerous chemicals or substances that could be in these things. Yeah. So it's about saving lives yeah. and it's about, um, you know, going to the real issues here and, and taking away that stigma and allowing them to have more of a positive connection with healthcare providers and, and support systems and um you know I, I i think it's great that they're moving in this yeah. direction and also the people like that this will help are the type of people that it's um they're so like there are so many people there that are so deep in the throes of addiction and homelessness that it's like it's not about like arresting them and, and punishing them like it's way beyond that so by removing that hurdle into getting them help but yeah it makes sense i think this is a good thing and it's mm. i like to hear uh government decisions that that just make sense and seem like yeah that's you know that's a bold decision but a smart one because that's not often the case and in this case in this situation i like this law yeah no i i think it's a i think it's a great move and hopefully you know once bc does it then the rest of the country hopefully will start to kind of come on board too. Yeah. Um, maybe seeing some positive results over a few years, you know, it might be something down the road that other provinces will get on board. Yeah. With. In an as needed basis. Like, uh, like I like the idea of having it this time sensitive thing, like for this certain mm. period of time. So what, what will be interesting to see is if they're actually going to be able to make a difference in a three-year period and show kind of the the payoff of of this and if it is a success yeah that certainly could be something that we see more of in the future mm -hmm. um because the way they've been doing it hasn't been working no you know this whole war on drugs thing you know it's just it hasn't been working yeah you know, there's no winning a war on drugs. Drugs wins every time. That, that's <laughs> the know, spirit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inhale just... Satan. So, so, so far we've talked about two laws. I think the Canadian government is two for two as far as having good new laws. Yeah, yeah. I like these these two laws so far, changes. I, I think they're good. Okay. Well, let's see how they do with the third. 
Uh, this one, I will say I am a huge fan, and I think uh, most people who've worked an office job will be. Ontario is about to become the first province to mandate policies on disconnecting from work. What does that mean? Let me tell you. This is a win-win for work-life balance. A new, sorry, not a win-win. This is a win for work-life balance. <laughs> a, a new law is now in effect in Ontario that forces many companies to craft policies on employees disconnecting from work after hours. As of June 2nd, employers in Ontario with 25 or more employees must have a written policy with respect to disconnecting outside of business hours. The new law was part of the Ontario Progressive Conservatives Working for Workers Act, which was passed in late 2021, and it's the first law of its kind in Canada. Disconnecting from work means not engaging in work-related communications, including emails, telephone calls, video calls, or sending or reviewing or other messages, uh, so as to be free from the performance of work, the 2021 legislation explained. Ontario Labour Minister Monty McNaughton previously told CTV News the law was created in response to the increasingly blurred lines between work and home caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The, rule, the new rules in Ontario must apply to all employees, including managers and executives, and company policies must clearly outline expectations, if any, about communicating outside of working hours. All Ontario employers with 25 or more employees as of January 1st, 2022nd, must have a written policy. So mm -hmm. we'll leave it there, but man, I support that 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been supporting this uh, personally. Way before the pandemic? <laughs> since I, yeah, since I started working. Since I got like, <laughs> you a, know, once. Once you get a company email kind of account or like, God forbid, you get yeah. like, you have a job or you have like a company phone. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, at, at my work, I have a, a work cell phone, but I leave that at my office. And that's you know, smart. And I work from home a lot through the pandemic, but I just I would not answer that phone past 430. Mm. I would not look at my email past 430. You know, I just that's it was over. You got me. the self-control. Well, I have a few kind of like experiences and anecdotes to share. One is I have like a, a very close friend who's a friend of yours as well. And he um, he has a job where he's in kind of a managerial position. We were roommates for a while and good buddies. And I feel like this guy, he probably gets paid, you know, for 35 hours a week or whatever, like his salary would be based on. This guy easily puts in 55 hours a week of work. He's like mm -hmm. forever working on projects outside of business hours answering calls responding to text messages and it's like and i, I see the effects of it on him because it's like it's, he's driven to forever be do that be doing that um and then so and then you have like covid where people are now put at home and are are working from home so that kind of blurs the line between what's an office and what is your house uh if you have on, on top of that, if you work for a company that has offices around the country, time zones may be kind of all blurred. So instead of working your nine to five, you're kind of working, you know, 7 a.m. till like 9 p.m. because of the different offices and stuff. I can see how mm -hmm. like so many people can fall into the trap of just being forever working. And I can see employers, some employers preying on that and taking advantage of it. And it's having the government kind of step in and 
uh, and just kind of get the back of the workers who may be preyed upon or involuntarily uh, submit to working way more than they should. I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, because it can kind of snowball, right? You can start off answering an email here or there. You know, you see it come in and you're like, oh, I'm going to respond to that now. But then you start setting a precedent with your employer that you're available during those times. And now we have everything we need to fully work from home. Like before the pandemic, there was only a f some things that I could do at home. You know, I could take my laptop home with me and there were some things I could do, but I couldn't do everything. I couldn't fully operate from home. But then when the pandemic hit, we made changes and now I'm able to do absolutely everything mm. at home yeah. now. But I just kind of draw that line. Yeah. Unless there's something like, you know, do the next day or, you know, I've, I've got some kind of a pressing project that I'm working on where you just kind of have to bite the bullet and and put the extra hours and those things come up. But generally, if there's nothing pressing going on, I don't look at my work email or phone past 430. Yeah. And it's not that they're saying like you cannot work outside of your hours. It's just simply saying that companies need to have a policy and be clear and transparent mm -hmm. and have an agreement with their employees. And that's yeah, that completely yeah, and it's to protect the worker so that the the employer can't fire you or you know discipline you for not answering an email at 8 30 at night or you know so it just kind of gives some protection to the to the employee so that they can be free to have that work-life balance because over the long term like if your job is adding that much stress and 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 extra hours into your life you start to become unhappy and if you're unhappy at your job you're not a good employee, no matter how many hours you put in. Hmm. Yeah, that's well said. Um, so in, in the long run, it may help employers as mm -hmm. well. But I think just for oh, in the long run, for sure, for, it will. For everybody, though, I think it just um, in an employee employer relationship, it's just uh, it's important to have um, a clear understanding of where that agreement starts and ends for when things really mm. get, when push really comes to shove. But as far as it being a new rule, is this something government should get involved in? I think so. I mean, we have government is involved in terms like of sick uh, leave. workplace rules, um, you know, on, on many aspects of, of our jobs. Yeah. There's you a know, labor board. things that we can do and aren't allowed to do. And, you know, that's, um, that's totally normal, yeah. you know, and this is just a natural progression of that since the pandemic opened up this Pandora's box of of how much work we're now capable of doing completely yeah. at home. And just like when we said uh, with the whole space thing is like kind of like that that was an example of the law, like kind of taking a big step and kind of getting ahead of it. This is not so much getting ahead of it, but it's certainly the law is keeping up with the kind of the modern workplace, which is very connected to phones and technology and a home office mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I would say uh, I, I'm I can be critical of, of Canada, but I I think we're we're three for three with the with the laws that we cherry. The new laws are three positive changes, and uh, you know the fourth change should be um, some type of an anti. Bieber, Tim Hortons uh, mm. law, you know, mm. no more, no more just generic drinks with some with Bieber's name slapped on it for no, no good reason. Well, yeah. I say 
allow it, but it should be taxed and regulated as far as when they can have these promotions with people like him and tax the hell out of it. Like if Bieber's getting $40 million for this awful coffee that like they got $6 out of us between the two of us just today to try this stuff, I'd say like put a 20% tax on it or something and take that money and use it to fund, I don't know, any number of social uh, initiatives that Canadians could benefit from. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Let's go out with one last story. This will be a short, uh, I guess we're going to call this a crime in Canada. I'm going to roll the intro and then we'll get through this story. Mm. This week in crime in Canada. Aaron, I've seen and heard stories of a lot of breakups. Uh, This one is, is unique in that it ended up in a courtroom, but not for the reasons you would ever expect, I guess, a breakup to end up in a courtroom. And I don't know if this is even a crime, but we're gonna call this crime in Canada, or at least kind of a legal dispute in Canada. Mm. So there's a man in British Columbia that was recently ordered to pay his ex-girlfriend $862 after abandoning his furniture after a breakup. Let me tell you what this guy did. A man who abandoned several pieces of furniture at his ex-girlfriend's apartment after a breakup must pay for moving and storage costs, BC's small claims tribunal has ruled. The, The decision centers on the sometimes awkward legal obligations that can remain between former romantic partners, even during a contentious separation. The Civil Resolution Tribunal heard Ruby Carolino and Shan Gao broke up in June 2021 and that Carolino took limited belongings with him when he left. Although he returned days later to pick up more of his things, accompanied by police and a friend, Carolino once again left behind a number of possessions, including a wardrobe, a coat rack, a floor lamp, a computer desk, kitchenware, a bed, and his mattress. Gao told the tribunal that they agreed Carolino's friend, identified only as Kay in the court decision, would come retrieve the rest of his possessions at a later date, and that she made numerous but unsuccessful attempts to rid her to rid herself of her excess belongings. But despite repeated promises to collect Carolino's things, Kay eventually stopped responding to Gao's texts. The tribunal heard Gao ultimately moved everything into paid storage in August. Miss Gao texted Kay to provide details about the storage facility where she had placed Mr. Carolino's items and to advise that they must be removed by September 7, 2021. Tribunal member Kristen Gardner wrote, There is no evidence before me that Kay responded to this message. Several weeks later, Gao had a lawyer contact Carolino through the courts and offered yet another chance to retrieve his things. When Gao finally disposed of the remaining items on October 8th, it had been just under four months since their breakup. Carolino told the tribunal he never wanted any of the leftover furniture and that they had made no such arrangement for it to be picked up. But Gardner was unconvinced. Based on Kay's text message with Miss Gao, I'm satisfied that Mr. Carolino appointed Kay as his agent to retrieve his belongings left in Miss Gao's possession. Kay failed to retrieve the items left with Miss Gao and or arrange for their disposal. I find that Mr. Carolino is responsible for Kay's failure to do so, including Miss Gao's expenses relating to that failure. Even if Carolino no longer wanted his things, the tribunal member noted 
he still would have been responsible for arranging the disposal. Gardner gave credit to Gao for upholding her legal obligation to, sex to safeguard her ex's things and for making reasonable efforts to keep Carolino informed of her plans for storing and disposing of them. She ultimately awarded Gao $862 for moving, storage, and disposal expenses, along with $150 in tribunal fees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's kind of poetic justice. Yeah, yeah. I think this. I mean, I, this gal is a sweetheart be, for doing all this yeah. for this guy. Yeah, I mean, I would think it would be hard. Like you know, you're you're you live with this person, and things that you own, it starts to get gray. Mm -hmm. You know, like of who really owns what. You know, so determining. You know, oh, that, that that's actually my mattress and box spring because I purchased that before we got together. But how long were they together? And at what point does some of this property actually belong to the two of them? Hmm. You know, once they use it for so long, like I would I would have found that, to, you know, not having all the details of the actual court proceedings. But, you know, that's those are the kind of questions I would have been asking, like. Well, is this property start to become both of your responsibilities mm. to, you know, like a 50-50 situation because that was the bed that you both slept in, even though he purchased it before you got together or vice versa? Um, yeah, maybe, but it, it seems pretty clear in what we see from that that article. That it seems pretty clear that they agreed who owned what and, and Mr. Carolino even appointed Kay to collect these things. So it seemed like he agreed, like those are mine and I'm going to try to get them. And since I can't, I'm going to get my buddy Kay to pick this stuff up. Uh, so I don't think there's a debate about ownership, but also I think there is um, that breakup. It must be a lot worse than we know be, uh, than that article makes, makes obvious because he goes to pick up his stuff and he brings with him a friend and the police. <laughs> So like, what is that? Mm. What is going on here? I'm I'm just shocked that she took the steps to make multiple contact attempts and actually move his stuff into storage. I think she should have gotten extra, like, without knowing more. Because well, there's the, there's the time also. If you put a dollar value on her time of moving it, like, well, just of moving it and like that kind of effort and and time that goes into that, like that's. That that should be also taken into. Account. Oh yeah, like even if this weekend, if my good, fr if if like if someone was like, uh, I need to move a couple couches and lamps from my house to a storage locker, you know, can you help me? I'd be like, oh, like if it was a good friend, I'd agree. But I'd be like, man, there goes like a full day. I'm gonna have to go get the U-Haul, go to their place, drive it down. Oh there, yeah, move, no. like with a dolly, like pushing this couch down this long haul to a storage locker. Moving's the worst, the, especially during a like a bad breakup too. Like forget it's, that. Oh, and God. and so if she had the storage locker for four months, a storage like a, to rent a storage locker it's usually it's well over 100 bucks a month so that 862 bucks probably goes just to those storage fees she should get something for the pain unless she hired someone to actually move that stuff out which i can't imagine she she did within that 862 bucks um no no yeah anyway what what a strange story it's it's interesting like uh so many court decisions are just public if, if publicly available if you know where to look and read the court decisions every so often you stumble upon upon something bizarre like that 
It's an interesting mm-hmm. one. I, I just wish I knew the whole story because there's definitely more to it. Yeah, we're just thinking like, you know, you're going through a breakup and then it's like now we, you know, I mean, there's there's lots of breakups that end up in court. But, you know, just when you think, you know, OK, the dust has settled on this thing. It's like, OK, now I'm being taken to court as well. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to drag all this, you know, through the legal system, you know, over over moving fees and and, and all those types of things. It just gets so messy. And do you think Mr. Carolino and Kay are friends anymore? Or is he like, Kay, you prick? <laughs> you you, you oh, said you'd get yeah. the lamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to to hear all three stories and put it all together. Yeah. You know? well, I'm thinking Kay, this guy, the, the friend. Man, imagine like pawning that off on your buddy. Like I got this horrible breakup to the point that I had to bring the police over there to get some of my stuff. I still have a bunch of stuff there. I need you to deal with her and collect that stuff. If someone told me that, I'd laugh in their face. My best friend in the world, I'd laugh in their face. I'd be like, I'm staying far away from your breakup and your lamp and your bed. So. Yeah, and I'm going to take you to space and kill you. Let's end it with that. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've been, we've been through a lot. We have the uh, least empathetic realtor in the world. Happens to be in Canada. We have three new mm-hmm. laws that Aaron and I agree with. We have uh, that interesting crime story. We have negative reviews to Bieber Brew Coffee. And those reviews are mm-hmm. un- are an unanimous. Unanimous? Uh, unanimous. Unanimous. I was reading online. Everybody I've read had the kind of the same things to say as tastes disgusting. It's bland. Doesn't taste like yep. French vanilla at all. I think they made mine wrong. If you go on Twitter, you see people write that, and then Tim Hortons write back, like, "Like you should DM us. We would like more information on your experience." You know, the that sort of like corporate crap. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's just another just another disappointment from Tim. Yeah, Hortons. add that to the list, fools. No surprise though. I was I, I kept the bar pretty low when I was tasting that coffee yeah well they got three more bucks out of you so you can criticize like foolish marketing but you know what i'm I'm a sucker for is any new product i have to try it like i love doritos if doritos came out with a new flavor every day i would have to buy a new bag of doritos every day that's where we differ like if if i wasn't doing this show with you and we didn't and and tim hortons wasn't such a a continuous target on this show that we (laughs) that we seem to have um i never ever would have tried that that beaver brew well what if you go in a store and it's there's you know a limited you know lay's potato chips limited edition uh you know cotton candy flavored you know maybe no i'm not trying maybe not cotton candy but if there's a new flavor of chip would you it would have to be a new flavor where i'm like oh i like that i like that the sound of that if it was something and i already like those chips you know so i'll try any that's the difference and if it was cotton candy doritos i'd be like i have to try them no i'm very selective about about what i try because i'm you know okay but I'll, I'll try anything at a restaurant, you know, like, you know, for the experience of being at a nice restaurant and I'm very open minded with my palate. But um, when it comes to like, you know, major corporations that are just slapping random things on packages and, and, and just trying to get us to, to buy more of what they already sell, I'm not into it. Um, just a one throwback to your video. 
the employee who gave the negative review in, in the drive-thru who kind of cautioned you about it he said you, you're like did you try it and he said no but i tried the shot so that goes in yeah it. so yeah. they take cold coffee put ice and then they take like a shot of like flavor and add it to it i wonder if he just took a shot of <laughs> like did like a shot of like french vanilla syrup yeah, I thought maybe like it had an espresso shot in it or something. Like I'm not sure. No, I watched if, them. If that's what it I is. I watched them make it. It looked like um, it looked like they had. There was a big like glass bottle, like almost like Italian soda. You know, where you like they add like the syrup into carbonated water or something. Mm-hmm. It, it looked like one of those, and they just dumped it in my coffee, stirred it once, and passed it to me. Uh, so I I like to think that this guy has a shot glass there, and that's how he tried it. So. Well, shout you know, out to maybe him. he's working the back shift and he's just got to get through the night yeah, yeah we've all been there um mm-hmm. luckily there's new laws in ontario that will help people in that position in some cases yeah but he's not at home he's at he's at his back shift, yeah so he's fully you know he's he's he's, in. he's he's fully at the mercy of his employer all right well let's wrap it up with this aaron until next time mm-hmm. do, jordan until next time get a bieber uh get a thing. not a bieber get a not a bieber I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I in our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part here, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to the Internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, who supplied the intro and outro voiceovers. But the most important thanks of all goes to all of you listening, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. Not only does the premium feed make the show possible, it also gives you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for both the price of a cup of coffee, keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, I want to thank the newest subscribers of the premium feed. Kelly, Bonnie, Jill, and Cindy, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it via a premium feed subscription, you can give me a hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting your like-minded friends know about all the great work Aaron and I are doing to keep Canada weird. If anyone listening has any story ideas or wants to give feedback on the show or to contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. Aaron and I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright. Jordan Bonaparte.